The scripture we're reading this morning comes from Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11. And a challenge for you who are gathered here um, right now, and for those of you who are at home or will be coming to services here, I would encourage you to bring a Bible along. It's great, we've got these screens behind me, but they only show little bits of a passage at a time. And so my encouragement is bring a Bible along to follow along, because when we're looking at verse 1, for example, during a sermon, it's great to see that in the context. What else is happening around it? What is the part we just read five minutes ago that maybe I haven't memorized yet? And so my encouragement, bring a Bible along. If you're at home, it's handy. You can hit pause right now and go find a Bible uh, and then follow along as well. But that's my encouragement, my challenge to, to all of you as we don't have Bibles in the pews during these days. But we're reading from Philippians chapter 2, starting with verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. It's 2022. And I don't know about you, but for some reason I think there's magic in that one second changing that leaves 2021 behind and starts a new year. I suddenly think, and, and Brendan prayed about this too, I suddenly think, okay, now is the year that I can start eating better and I can exercise more and I'm going to spend more time sleeping and less time doing this and this. And if you're anything like me, you've probably realized that just flipping the calendar doesn't actually change some of those things. The new mindset is great. Having those goals is important. Striving for something. But there's nothing in a calendar page churning that suddenly makes me able to get off the couch and run any more than I could last year. And the same thing is with relationships. We might have great goals for 2022 in our relationships with others, with Jesus, but it takes a bit of work to make those relationships get to that place. And so this year, starting out 2022, Pastor Eric and I are going to be preaching a series of messages talking about relationships starting with relationship with Jesus and then relationship with each other, realizing how the two are connected. Because relationships take work and commitment and intentionality. 
And before I move on, I do just want to point this out behind me or on your screens at home potentially. It said residual relationships 2.0. I want to make mention that that's not, this is the bigger, better version of Pastor Eric's sermon last week. This is a continuation of that series. So before I get nasty emails, especially from Pastor Eric, that is what the 2.0 stands for. And so we're looking at residual relationships. We're looking at the fact that our relationship with Jesus is the first place we look because that relationship has a trickle-down effect into our relationships with each other. And so how we relate to Jesus, how Jesus relates to us is important in our understanding of relationships. But I think residual relationships go the other way also because I think our relationships with each other, good or bad, influence our relationship with Jesus as well. If I'm used to talking with my friends in a certain way, or if I don't talk to my friends very much, and that just becomes common, that's probably also going to be how I start relating with Jesus. And I think even bigger than that, the way I, the way we relate with others, has a direct impact on their relationship with Jesus. If I claim to be a pastor, if we claim to be Christians and followers of Jesus and then treat others poorly, how are they going to see Jesus? What is their relationship with Jesus going to be like? Because I don't know how I would feel if someone says, I love Jesus, and then they do something terrible. I might not feel very good about that relationship. And so residual relationships have that both way. How we relate to others affects relationships with Jesus, and how we relate with Jesus and Jesus with us affects our relationships as well. And so this week and last week, we focus on that relationship with Jesus. And it's about knowing Jesus, and it's about discipleship. The more we read about Jesus, the more we understand Jesus, the more we have a personal relationship with Jesus, the better we can understand what relationships look like with each other. And what I love about Jesus and reading about him in the Bible and understanding relationship with him in my own life is Jesus didn't just come to give us a bunch of commands and a bunch of rules of this is how you're supposed to do this and this and this. Yes, Jesus does give some guidelines and some encouragement, but Jesus does this through discipleship. Jesus doesn't just tell us how it's done, Jesus comes and shows us how it's done. And again, in this passage in Philippians, we read Paul explaining to the Philippians, this is how Jesus did it, and now we're going to learn also. And I think before we look closer at Philippians, I think we have to understand that we are reading someone else's mail. Usually that's not okay. In the Bible, it is. But we are reading a specific letter from a specific person in a specific place and time to a specific church in a place and time, the city of Philippi. And we need to understand this because we can't just look at this and say, oh, Paul is writing this letter to us. Paul was not writing this letter to us. We can read this. We can understand. We can learn from it because we're going to see a bunch of similarities. But we need to understand that Paul was writing to the church at Philippi. And once we start to see what that relationship is like, then we can see how it influences, oh wait, we're not so different. And so if you know anything about Paul, or if you don't, Paul was an apostle of Jesus. He came around after Jesus' death, 
and he has an amazing story that I encourage you to read. But Paul, his whole purpose in life was to go around and tell people about his relationship with Jesus, and Paul started churches all over the known world at that time. And so what we get in Paul's letters is Paul's interaction with these churches that he had gone to a city for a time, established a church, and then he went away. And so sometimes he goes and visits, sometimes he writes letters. And this is a glimpse into Paul's relationship with a church that had started. Paul often gives encouragement or affirmation. Sometimes Paul is challenging, sometimes Paul is rebuking. But Paul is talking to the church at Philippi, and we're reading their mail. And so what do we need to know about this church in, Phil in Philippi, the Philippian church? One, Paul really likes them. They were doing a lot of things really well. Paul was happy with the things he had seen and continued to see with the church in Philippi. And we read that throughout his letter of, you're doing this, and I want to encourage you, and I'm thankful for this, and I'm joyful about this. But Paul also was starting to see some little cracks in that church in Philippi. Paul writes this letter of Philippians to talk about some of the disunity that he is seeing. Nothing full-blown and scandalous like the church in Corinth and the letter of Corinthians. Paul has some pretty harsh things to say to that church. But in Philippians, we hear Paul giving a warning of saying, hey, I'm seeing some little factions starting within the church here. I'm seeing a variety of people with a variety of different ideas and opinions, and each of you wants to be correct. And Paul's saying, I'm encouraged by the things that are happening, but I want to warn you about what I'm seeing. And I want to say, I don't think that's too different from us here at Mountain View. I think if we were going to get a letter from Paul, I think there would be some stuff he's very encouraged by. I've seen a lot of great things, a lot of ways the Spirit is working and moving within this church. I've heard from a number of you. I have the privilege of sitting down in your living rooms and visiting with you and hearing where God is at work. And I think Paul could also say, hey, there's a variety of people here, a variety of different opinions and ideas, all of which want to be heard and want to be seen and want to be followed. And I don't think Paul is saying that part is a problem. I think a beautiful part of the church is that there is a variety of people, a variety of ideas. I want to be part of a church where people are challenging each other, where people are listening to each other, where people are explaining and exploring things together. That's not what Paul is saying. But Paul is saying, watch out with these things. And Paul is saying, we need to understand how to live in relationship as a church with these various different ideas. And Paul goes on then in this letter, which we're going to look at, and says, here's how to do relationship well as a variety of people. And Paul starts with a bunch of if clauses. And so in verse 1, we read, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. And the reason I started out by saying we need to know we're reading Paul's letter to the Philippians is because, for me, if clauses seem kind of hypothetical. I might say, if it's raining and warm outside, the snow is going to melt. If I practice soccer, I'm going to be a better player. If this, then this. 
But once we realize that Paul knew this church intimately, he knew the people, he knew what was going on, a better translation, and in my reading over it this past week, a better translation might be since phrases or since clauses. Paul knew this church. Paul knew what was going on. He knew that there was encouragement from being united with Christ. Paul knew from his relationship with the church that there was comfort from Christ's love, that there was common sharing in the Spirit. And so a better way to read this is say, Paul saying, I know you guys, and since this and this and this and this is happening, because that's happening, you need to do, and we'll get to that. But that changes things a little. There's a sense of obligation, a sense of encouragement, a sense of, I know this is happening, so you can do this. It changes the phrase a little, right? If it's raining, the snow is going to melt, versus since it's raining, the snow is melting. There's something there of since this is happening among you, you need to do this. And I think he could say the same to us. Like I mentioned in my visits with you and in chatting with you, I know good things are happening here. I have seen unity in Christ. I've seen the work of the Spirit. I've seen tenderness and compassion. Since that is happening here as well, then we can go on and read Paul's letter because other things need to come of that also. And so Paul has these, we'll call them since clauses. And then Paul goes on to make an appeal. Because all of these things are happening, this is what you need to do. And Paul says, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, and being in one spirit and one mind. And I think up until this point, I could follow Paul. I understand his love for the Philippian church. I understand his encouragement by what's going on. I understand his, that he knows there's a variety of people with unique ideas. I can understand his concern with that and what that could lead to. But then Paul says, be like-minded, have the same love, and have the same mind. And I'd say, Paul, how? How can that even work? How can we all have one mind? How can we all think the same? And then if we're going to wonder that, whose mind? If we're all going to have one mind, whose mind? Whose opinion? Whose ideas? Because to be honest, I don't have any problem of all of us here in this room or online being of one mind, as long as it's my mind. Because we want people to think like we do. It's a whole lot easier to get along with all of you if you all think the same as me. And so when I read this, be of one mind, okay, I've got it. Everyone, can we agree? My mind, okay, let's go. We've done what Paul said. But that doesn't work. Because I imagine each of you sitting here or at home also would like that one mind to be yours. Because we have our ways of thinking, and we have our reasons for thinking that way, and we have our opinions. And when Paul says, be of one mind, Whose mind? And that's hard. Because I don't see how exactly that's going to work. I don't understand Paul in saying, this is what you are to do, be of one mind. Then I want some guidelines from Paul. I want him to tell us what mind, what exactly to think, what are we going to do, and how do we do that? But Paul doesn't go there. And Jesus doesn't go there. He doesn't say, this is what you are to believe, do this. There's a lot of room within some of what has been said. And as I was reading through commentaries, just a side note, 
none of the stuff that I preach here is just only my own thoughts. And so I want to make that clear. So as I'm learning these things, I'm also sharing them with you. And as I was reading through some of the commentaries, someone had written that unity is very different than uniformity. Unity doesn't just mean we all think the same thing. That's uniformity. Unity isn't loving the same things someone else wrote. Unity is having the same love. And for me, that was a big differentiation of, I can't understand how we're all going to be uniform in our ideas. But if I can understand the same love and unity versus uniformity, that changes it for me. And Paul goes on to say how we're going to do this is you're not going to be of one mind like Pastor Peter's mind. You're going to be of one mind of someone else, a mind that is higher than your own. And if we flip the slide, we see on, on verse 5, Paul names this outright. Paul says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Again, Paul doesn't say, this is exactly what you are to think. This is exactly the right answer. But when Paul says, be of one mind, he goes on to say, and that mind, that mindset is that of Christ Jesus. And then Paul goes on to say, and this is what Jesus' mind was like. This is who Jesus was. And this is where if you had your Bibles here or if you have them at home, look at verses 5 through 11 again. A beautiful testimony of this is who Jesus was and what he did. And you are to be the same mind as this. Because when, when the church has tried to be of one mind the other way, it's led to a lot of division. I'm sure there are people who are not sitting here in this church or maybe not sitting in church at all anymore because of some of that same mind and the disunity that Paul warns against. We've wrestled with what day of the week to worship on, what clothes to wear, what genders are allowed to stand up here and preach, what sexual orientations have a right to be part of the church. We've wrestled with all of these things, and time after time, again, people have said, your mind is different than mine. Let's be of one mind with other people. And Paul is saying, don't do that. Paul says to the church in Philippi, I do not want you doing that. So we need to figure out a way to live in relationship in unity without splitting up into all these different minds. And Paul does that by pointing to Jesus. Jesus as the model. Jesus showing, not just telling what to believe, Jesus showing how to do this. And so in verses 6 and 7 and 8 and onwards, we see how Jesus modeled this in his relationship to us. Jesus is God. Jesus was with God. Jesus was very nature God, writes Paul, who was equal with God, who had every advantage. But Jesus decided that's not where he was going to stay. He still was God, but Jesus emptied himself, we read. Jesus became nothing. Jesus became a servant. He became humble. He became obedient even to death. And Paul says this is the relationship we need to model after, especially when it comes to unity. And Paul points to a God who emptied himself, who put others first and said, you are who I value. You are who I love. 
I am not going to consider this equality, this godness, the only thing I want to be with you. And Paul says this humility, again, this servanthood, this obedience, this is the mindset I want you to have. Paul writes, I'm concerned about some of these factions, I'm concerned about disunity, but in your relationships, the mindset of Christ with humility and selflessness is where you need to go. And so I want to look at that a second, because Paul goes back and says a couple things of how it's going to work. And Paul sets our relational priorities, as it were. And I wanted to prove to all of you that, like Pastor Eric, I can also do alliteration, and so I've come up with three words starting with P. And so we're going to look at those relationship priorities of purpose, of posture, and of partnership. And so we start with purpose. And in verse 3, we read from Paul, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Paul says the purpose of your relationships when thinking about unity, the purpose cannot be your own selfish ambition or your own pride. So I guess we can say Paul does a better job of saying what the purpose shouldn't be, but it leaves it pretty open and understanding for us to realize what the purpose is. Paul says do nothing out of selfish ambition. In your relationships, in your variety of ideas and opinions and thoughts and attitudes, do not do these things to advance yourself. Do not be asking, what can I get out of this? Do not be saying, what does better for me? And with conceit, don't be saying, I know the right answers. I can't stand up here and say, I studied theology, I've read the Bible, I know this and this and this and this. Paul says, no. You cannot do that out of selfish ambition or vain conceit because that is not going to bring unity. Paul's concern was about advancing the kingdom, advancing a community, not advancing individuals. And so as we think of relationship with others, how do we do that? How do we make sure that it's not our needs that are trying to be advanced, but it's the needs of all? How do we do things out of a communal ambition and not individual ambition? How can our ambition be of growing the kingdom and not growing ourselves? Because Paul says the purpose of your relationship is to point people towards Jesus, not to get yourself on a pedestal. And so a position, or sorry, a purpose. A purpose of advancing a kingdom and not individuals. And then we look at posture, because Paul tells us the posture to take within this. And in all of these things, he's pointing to our relationship with Jesus and how Jesus relates with us and says, this is how it's done. This is how Jesus shows you. Now you do this, that residual relationship. And Paul's posture that he tells us to take is one of humility, of putting others first. Humility at the time Paul wrote this was not a very valued trait. And I would say it's not always a very valued trait right now either. When people think humble, they think they can be stepped on. They think that people will walk over them. They think that they're just not thinking of themselves anymore. And I want to read something that I had read because I thought this was a good description of it. One commentator writes, This does not mean, humility does not mean, that we must have false or unrealistic views of our own gifts as compared to others. It's not a moral superiority that's in view here. 
What Paul means is that our consideration for others must precede concern for ourselves. This is what goes far towards removing disharmony and disunity. And so a humility that doesn't say, I'm so low, I'm so bad, you do it. A humility that says, your thoughts are valuable, your opinions are valuable, you are valuable. What are your thoughts? What do you think? How do you understand this? How do you explore this? How do we do this together? Because I know a lot of the time I like to enter into a situation and say, this is what I think. Do you agree? Or this is why I think you should think this. But humility, Paul says, would be entering into a conversation saying, what do you think? Why do you think that way? What are the things in your life that have led you to believe that? I want to understand you and what you're thinking because that's unity. That doesn't mean we're going to think the same thing, says Paul. That doesn't mean it's uniformity where we're all having the same idea and the same truth. But Paul does say, Doing this together is what unity is, of putting others first and the example of Jesus. And then Paul moves from purpose to posture to partnership. Paul writes in verse 4, depending on the translation, do not look only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And I like, so certain translations will, will not say it this way, but this is the common one that I found not only to your own interests. So Paul is not saying just rid yourself of everything. It's only other people. It's only like you are down here. Paul's saying you need to look after yourself still. You need to make sure that you are healthy, that your relationship with Jesus is good. But it can't just be that. It's not only that, but also the interests of others. And if we put the humility part, and if we look at what Paul says about Jesus after, we realize Others will be first, but you still take care of yourself. It's because living in community means healthy people entering into relationships, even ones of humility and selflessness and obedience. And Paul says, take care of yourselves, but put others first. Something else I read said, Christian concern is wide enough and needs to be wide enough to include others in its scope. Yes, I need to work on my own relationship, but I need to focus and put that on others too. And Paul says, this is what Jesus did. Jesus came and Jesus became a servant and lived in community. And you can see a lot of times throughout scripture where Jesus stepped aside to take time to pray and to take time to care for himself and then enter back into relationships, putting others first. And Paul is saying, if we're gonna learn from Jesus, we need to learn all of these things. Watch how Jesus lives in relationship with you and watch the residual effects of that with others. And so we talk about residual relationships. We talk about what does that mean to read Paul's letter from thousands of years ago to a church from thousands of years ago and where does it intersect with us now? And like I said before, we are a church that does things well and does things poorly. We are a church with a variety of people, with a variety of opinions, and a bunch of those things in 2022 will continue to come to the front. We have different ideas on the restrictions that have been put in place. We have different uh, opinions on vaccines. We have different opinions on what songs should be sung, 
of what people should wear. We have different opinions of who should be up front. We have different opinions of what kind of things are acceptable or not acceptable in the church. And Paul says to us today, be careful. You don't need to think the same way, but how do you live in unity? And I think one of the things our congregation is doing, I think starting in February now, is challenging conversations or listening circles. And I think that's exactly the kind of thing that Paul points to in this. These are a chance to, based on a, a report, talking about human sexuality in the church and what that looks like, somewhere where there's a lot of different opinions. Paul is saying entering these conversations is a way to do relationship well but entering the conversations how we read here and how Jesus would. And so entering conversations with other people in this church saying, not saying this is what I think is right and you need to believe this, but entering conversations, again, asking that question of, I want to know what you think and why. I want to understand where we're at on this. Why do we think these different ways? Conversations that are not about figuring out answers, conversations that are not about uniformity and all having the same thought, but conversations about unity, about how do we think differently and still be a body together? How do we think differently and still follow a Savior who loves all of us? How do we think differently and have different minds but have the same mindset as Jesus, because that goes a long way to unity. And I want to wrap up by looking at how Paul ends this, because Paul has Jesus who humbled himself, who became human, who became a servant, who became obedient to death, and that's not where it ends. The name of Jesus is lifted up, and every knee bows. Every tongue acknowledges Jesus Christ as Lord to the glory of the Father. And I'm not going to try to say that if we walk in humility and selflessness, we're going to be exalted like this, and that's our end goal. No. Because remember how the residual relationships work. Because my relationship with others, our relationship with others, should lead to their relationship and our relationships with Jesus being at this point also. Where people see the way that we work and talk and live with each other and glorify and honor God because of it. And so as 2022 moves on, as we seek to live in relationship with each other, as we seek to put each other first, may we continue to follow the example of Jesus. Humble, obedient, servant, listening to the needs of others, all to the glory of God. We're advancing the kingdom, not ourselves. How do we do that in unity with each other? Amen. Please join me in prayer. Lord, thank you for the example of Jesus. Thank you for a Savior who did not consider equality and authority something to be grasped, but came as a servant, came in humility, came to show us how to live with each other. And Jesus, as a community with different thoughts and opinions and ideas, thank you for those. Please teach us how to listen to each other, how to walk with each other as you have walked with us, so that our goal isn't to be right and our goal isn't to be the same, but our goal is to be and to think like you. We can only do that with the working of your Spirit, Lord. Please continue to work with us in that. In your name we pray.
Amen.